0: This show is part of the WND podcast network. If you'd like to check out more shows from WND, please head to our website at wndpress.com/podcast to see our current lineup.
1: Only poses die you fucking idiot.
0: So I'm back, and I have, I have, I have a particular gripe with you, um, oh, you in my do, in my time yeah. off. Yeah, oh yes, I do. Um, I I went. Sorry, I, I was here holding it down by myself. You know, I was. You say that, ship. but you say that, but listen. So so those episodes were they were done well.
1: <sighs> what a measured compliment.
0: You and and Matt uh, communicate really well with one another. My particular gripe, though, is that you are so much nicer when I'm not around.
1: (laughs) You are so much nicer to Matt than you are to me. I mean, Matt and I, we do rip on each other, but we just, Matt and I have never had that same sort of toxic uh roast mode (laughs) thing (laughs) i mean i don't do it i don't do it with matt as much it's just a natural thing you know sure sure. i don't do it with i mean i guess i do it with you and your brother a lot yes uh, (laughs) that's that's how we communicate we only communicate through like anger and personal attack yeah Um, i think amelia it's it's similar to Matt, where we do rip on each other. We have in the past, but just maybe not as much. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like I invited. But um,
0: I no, I thought the episodes were good. Um, I did want to add that uh, the craziest thing I've ever seen in a show was a man almost cut his own dick off. So that was... <laughs> That's the thing I think the chainsaw thing you brought up the chainsaw story. um I think what happened was that person went after Amelia and Amelia pushed that person, and that person went out to go get a chainsaw and come back and cut Amelia in half. Um, oh. I think that's where that started, so uh Amelia might be able to correct on that, so you're right, but i I'm pretty sure that's where it started. The guy was drunk and moshing too hard and 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 and, and Amelia you know how every now and again she would like get really feisty and be like Fuck yeah. that, that!" and then like yeah. so i think that's what happened and she pushed him and then he was like oh like this and went outside and got a chainsaw to cut her in half so yeah
1: whenever i i knew it was gonna go down whenever amelia or steve got like involved whether it was like whether it was the band was going off and and they they jumped in i was like oh my god it's it's happening yeah. Yeah. Or if there was a fight and you would see one, you would see either of them get involved. You're like, "Oh, this is this is this is about to be a problem." Yeah, because be
0: that was a line. That was always a line. If Eddie <laughs> threw a punch, you were like, "Yeah, par for the course." Um, but like if, if Amelia was throwing a punch, you're like, "God damn it, okay." Um, anyway, the my story was that we were at um, uh, the coffee. Not the yeah, no, the coffee connection. Um, mm. It was a show after the Daytona scene. It kind of like drizzled out um and this homeless man because that was somebody took their ball and went home no yeah somebody uh and so um and so what ended up happening was at this show because we would always have like homeless people show up at these shows at the specifically at yeah well and it's specifically the coffee connection well this guy was outside and he was like waving a knife around and this goes back to like kind of the thing that matt said about like criminal activity and like normalizing (laughs) this stuff everybody was like yeah he's got a knife not like shit he's got a knife (laughs) And uh cheering him on. Yeah, dude. He was in a circle of people and he's waving a knife around and everybody's like, Yeah. It's like this is this is not good. Um and then he unzips his pants and pulls his dick out and stretches it out as far as he can go and then puts the knife up under his dick. And everybody was like, everybody's going, do it, do it. And <laughs> and uh, and Pat Edge was like, "This is a bad idea," and everybody's going, um, "Like," and so then you know, my ex-wife was there, and she was the one that called the police. So you know, <laughs>
1: boo, yeah, boo, yeah, boo, her, yeah. One doing more responsible thing to thing. add to the list: you <laughs> could have watched this man sever his member and, and bleed, bleed to out. death, in,
0: yeah, in the middle of that dirt parking lot, uh, that dirt lot between the Seven <laughs> Eleven and the Coffee Connection.
1: He would have died so quick Yeah. oh my god and then and then years later they build a waffle house on top of where he killed himself and he haunts it dickless dennis the ghost
0: there is there is a line cook somewhere frying eggs right now standing in the same spot that that guy almost cut his dick off so that's that's uh that was my probably the craziest thing that i saw at a show
1: well to be fair you could say that about most waffle houses (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah you're not and wrong over here you're we have wrong. the
1: friars and over here we have the uh, flat top and then right here is where um somebody tried to cut their dick off and... uh-huh yeah, yeah
0: uh-huh yeah it's there's i'm gonna i'm gonna see i'm gonna petition to put a plaque there now <laughs> um <laughs> uh so, here too
1: far stood a man <laughs>
0: <laughs> so i do have to share something i had a first uh while i was on my trip so i'm back for my trips i had to go to fort lauderdale and i had to go to vegas so um, many trips yeah, um, to and uh, uh, no, I didn't gamble. I fucking hate gambling. It's the worst thing. It's like sorry, the I didn't know shit. you were a
1: fucking Mormon.
0: No, I no, I actually can't stand it because the because I understand the science behind it. So I'm like, this is <laughs> so, fucking stupid. It's not fun. So fun. It's it's totally taking the fun out of it. Where I'm like, oh uh, yeah, it's on like a it's a variable schedule of reinforcement, and it's just that's how they keep you engaged in the behavior because you the, know I'm gonna behavior's get a knife unver- in a minute here. <laughs> well, so anyway, so I went to go see Jabberwockies. <laughs> you know the, you know the Jabberwockies? You know i know the
1: Jabberwockies, sure
0: uh they had the great the the best show i've ever seen uh anyway, in the middle of their show they did a uh uh they do this thing where they get crowd involvement they take a break from dancing and they just put on a show and they do this crowd involvement thing where they get people randomly to uh sing karaoke mm hmm I have never in my life sung karaoke because I think that that is uh, an embarrassment that I don't need in my life. Uh, And somehow, uh, at some point in time, I'm sitting in the crowd. It's not a very big crowd, um, but it's big enough. Uh, And at some point in time, one of the Jabberwockies makes direct eye contact with me right in the eyes, and I was like, shit. That means that I'm going to have to sing. Uh, he's going to call me up, and I ended up having to sing karaoke in front of a crowd of people in Vegas, so I was part of a <laughs> Vegas show.
1: <laughs> what song?
0: I had to sing Journey's Don't Stop Believing." That's a good one.
1: Yeah, I knew the words,
0: so I didn't even have to look at the fucking monitor. And uh and like, I was... stop <laughs> <living>. <laughs> yeah, That's how I sung. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I do that <laughs> uh, but also what was great about it was because I know I speak in front of crowds all the time. And because I've played shows, like I wasn't some fucking person just standing there going, Duh, like just staring. I was like able to work the crowd and get oh, people cheering and singing. Well, uh, you put some flair it into it. I did put some flair into it and it was awesome. So, uh and then, and then I was wearing a bad religion shirt and some guy was like, yeah, no nice shirt. And I was like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> like, I just wanted to, it's like, but actually, speaking of that bad religion shirt, that same day, there's an old guy in an elevator. Like this guy straight up looked like he hung out with Mitch McConnell. And yeah. uh like it's he really like looked like a turtle. At sh- he looked like a turtle and he looks at me he looks at me, he looks at my shirt and he's like, uh, do you like the band? Or is it just like you like the shirt? And I was like, No, they're like my favorite band. Like I love this band. And he's like, I have every one of their albums on vinyl except for four. And I was like, what like what are you talking about like which albums don't you have and he's like uh stranger than fiction new america i don't have the newest one i can't remember what it's called and i was like this is fucking insane so like this like 80 year old man was like good nice shirt and like wandered off to go lose his entire fortune uh at some slot machine so
1: well at least he'll still have his bad religion vinyl
0: yeah i mean you could sell i don't know no control for like 100 bucks or something it'll be worth something after everything collapses right yeah yeah maybe i don't know. Well, that's quite a story. I did that's, yeah. that's that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, it was good. It was a fun it was a fun trip. And I didn't get COVID, so mm.
1: well, I mean I Hell guess yeah. that's always a plus.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of stuff has happened since you and I have talked.
1: Mm-hmm. 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 I mean, I'm not gonna go into my stuff, but No, 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 that's fine. You don't have to. <laughs> I did go to a Brazilian concert and uh, it was festive and uh, <laughs> very percussive, mm-hmm. and I had a wonderful time. I really did, and I even danced a little. That's good. So uh, I had no idea what any of it was. It was all in Portuguese, but yeah, That's fun. It was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I think. uh, Also, in the meantime, uh, I think my brother blew out my eardrum throwing a firecracker at (laughs) me on Fourth of July. And and and, tell me that. And my uncle died in that time too. So there's that too. (laughs) you just got to, you know, you just, you just nose dove us right there. A lot, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. So what did he tell you? I want to know what he told you about the firecracker. He said
1: you threw a firecracker at him. So therefore he blew one up next to your ear and cost you your hearing for two days.
0: Yeah. It's still ringing. Um, so, so I thought he threw, I was lighting a firework and I thought he threw one of those like ground bloomers, that, like spins and goes and then, like lights on fire. He actually threw a firecracker and it blew up in my face, right in my right ear. <laughs>
1: get a blinded yeah. you, uh
0: it was it was probably like two feet away from me when it exploded it was loud
1: mm. it hurt well mm. i am sorry to hear about your uncle i uh i, I have talked to your brother extensively about it because i've seen him i haven't seen yeah. you yeah you've probably talked to my brother more about
0: it than i have well it was sad yeah he's 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 mad about it too oh he told me yeah nonsense anyway
1: well enough inside baseball hi everybody welcome to i don't want to hear it i'm mikey and i'm shane and we are back with another episode this time we've chosen to do a bit of a deep dive not on a band not on a record label but on a series of music venues we're talking about new york city (laughs) new york city music venues the famous ones which I, we live in Florida. It doesn't make sense, but we're going to do it anyway. Doesn't make any sense. You. We're
0: going to do it because it's important. Um, it I is important. Made, I made that New York City joke recently because I think I saw like an El Paso something or other, <laughs> and and both my kids looked at me like I was insane. New like, York I was like, City. I like they're like, let's get this one. I was like New York City, and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, it's you wouldn't get it because there's some there was this thing in the '90s called commercials which you don't experience now,
1: and so it was a whole thing. But, uh, yeah, we're going to do venues. It's going to be great. Do you remember the really dark tagline at the end of the El Pas- one of the El Paso commercials? <laughs> no. It's like, New York City! And then one cowboy turns to the camera and goes, get a rope. Oh, God.
0: <laughs> the 90s were dark. It's pretty The upsetting. 90s were very, very dark.
1: <laughs> I mean, our patron saint was Kurt Cobain, so, you know, what do you want from us? Yeah, and that was before nine eleven. 11 Yeah, thought nine eleven was bad, well... I mean, you should it have was. seen Jinko's. <laughs> just a just a terror of a different kind. I had um, Jinko shoes. You're you should be in jail. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, before we get into the venues and the stories that we've managed to scrape together about them, let's go ahead and do a right profile.
0: Right profile. Say, where did I see this guy he shoot his right profile? I'm going to go first this time because it's been so long since you've heard my voice and I want you to hear more of it. So, uh, and I also have a really fun band. So uh, my first band, my band that I'm picking is a band from Dayton, Ohio called the Raging Nathans.
1: I've heard of them. Have you? Yeah. Have you listened to them? Uh, I think so.
0: Okay. On their band camp, uh, they say their, their bio is they were voted number two punk band in Dayton, Ohio by some website, but they didn't take our winning personalities and striking good looks into account. So, um, so that's the joke. Um, they are a, a very much so a pop punk band. I mean, mm-hmm. they're not a pop punk band, like a newer pop punk band. Like I would say like Green Day, Screeching Weasel, Ramones type pop punk band. Um, definitely, uh, in the vein of if you like Teenage Bottle Rocket, uh, you know, any mass intruder, any of those bands that kind of sound like that. Now they have a little bit of that vibe. Um, they have put out a lot of stuff. They have four full lengths. They started in uh, about 2014 with their first full length losing it. Then they have uh cheap fame, oppositional defiance and their newest that came out last year, waste of my heart, which is the one I'm going to recommend. Most of these albums came out on rad girlfriend records, which I hadn't known <laughs> and listened to until this, uh, which I thought was great. That's funny. They have a couple EPs. They have the Raging Nathans EP, the Long Way Home EP, uh, and then a uh, a split with a band called Slow Death, the Slow Death. Now, what I really like about this band is they have a ton of fucking releases. It sounds like they just want to be friends with everybody, and they put out a bunch of splits with a bunch of uh, of bands. So I'm going to read a couple of the bands they've done splits with. Okay. They did a split with Wonk Unit, <laughs> uh, Nobody's, Pizza Tramp, Rad Company, which wait, wait, is great. Wait. Pizza yeah. Tramp. Pizza Tramp. One word, Pizza Tramp. <laughs> I
1: love it. That's great. Uh, the
0: Rad Company instead of Bad Company, which I think is great. John Cougar Concentration Camp.
1: Oh, I forgot about that
0: band. Uh-huh, yep, that's a band that exists. Yep. Uh, Parasites, <laughs> Dead Bars, which I had mentioned before on the show, The Reganomics, Starter Jackets, uh, The Voice <laughs> of God, and Dwarves. Like the band Dwarves? Yeah. They did. They did it. Split with dwarves. So, um. So anyway, they're fun. They're a fun listen. I recommend going (laughs) listen to "Waste My Heart." The title track "Waste My Heart" is great. Um, friend of the show and patron Kate described the um the band as. I want to read this out loud and quote this. Um, they're like the Dopamines, but a little more organized.
1: (laughs) I love the Dopamines. They're definitely one of my favorite punk bands of like the last decade.
0: Yeah. No, the dopamine's are great. So, um so anyway, it's a fun it's a fun listen. I think that I think that you would genuinely like it, uh, if you like that stuff, but I think I it's a fun I'll listen for anybody out, who likes stuff like that.
1: I love shit like that, I like the Lillingtons and uh Dude, Dear Landlord and I was listening to Lillingtons the other day and I forgot how much I love that band. Well, yeah, because they they went from being like a Ramones band to being like a, a weird uh cult melodic band. <laughs> but I've still got really a good. black
0: hole in my mind.
1: Yeah, it's pretty good yeah okay well i I will check them out again um maybe just thinking i just wasn't paying attention when i heard them the first time
0: yeah maybe <laughs>
1: all right so my band is a band with one of the best names i've ever heard uh the band uh-huh. is called cosmic putrefaction <laughs> that's like when i discovered tomb mold and i was like yeah. this is great i fucking love this tomb mold's great that's also a bloodborne reference uh well <laughs> yes actually it is because their demo they had uh song titles related to Dark Souls and Bloodborne but then they dropped that. Anyway, so Cosmic <laughs> Future Faction is a one man project, you know, it's not just the black metal guys that do it, death metal do as well. Um this is a one man project from a guy named Gar- uh Gabriel Gramaglia, so yes, Italian. Uh-huh. He's from Italy, but really How does he play guitar? Huh?
0: How does he play guitar? Well,
1: with he strings it with spaghetti.
0: Oh, okay. No, I wasn't saying that. I was saying when he holds his hands, his fingers are always together.
1: <laughs> they make special <laughs> guitars for the okay. expressive for the Italians. Italians. Yeah. Um, so they are from Italy, but really they're kind of from space hell.
0: Okay, so, yeah, yeah.
1: Cosmic P, death metal band with some, actually a lot of progressive elements and just a heaping spoonful of cosmic horror. So, super interesting riffs, great drumming. You know, the guy, he's a great drummer as well. Um, unique song structures doesn't get boring, but it doesn't change so much that you're like, "What? What the fuck is happening?" Um, awesome vocals. They do go deep, but they go up into shriek and mid range territory at times. And the production on their newest record, uh, it's called "Crepuscular Dirge for the Blessed Ones."
0: <laughs> yeah, just cr- as, as it should
1: be. Yeah, eight tracks of pure interdimensional mayhem. Uh, the the production is fantastic. I mean, there's there's synths on it. There's all kinds of like moving parts. Like it's very, it's it's really good. Uh, that came out this year, 2022. Uh, and you should also check out 2019's "At the Threshold of the Greatest Chasm" and 2020's "The Horizons Toward Which Splendor Withers." Christ. So I'm gonna read two things here, okay? So this is just a quick review, like a quick sum up of crepus- crepuscular-, crepuscular dirge. Uh huh. So it says, uh, Gabrielle Grimaglia continues the cosmic putrefaction narrative begun on the previous album, The Horizons, toward which Splendor withers, where the only survivor from an apocalyptic annihilation of a dying planet walks towards its withered horizons. On crepuscular dirge, this character ultimately finds an even more sorrowful truth at the end of his journey, one that shows the Empyrean fall of man through the metaphysical world and the gods whom inhabit it.
0: Uh, The fucking rules. <laughs> it's pretty bad. damn it, I
1: love metal. Um so I wasn't able to find any lyrics to the latest record but uh-huh. I found these lyrics to a song off of the last one Horizons. This is here's these this is this is all the lyrics to this landscape sublimates oblivion to obliteration. <laughs> <clears throat> I remained a thousand years floating in oblivion I look around remnants remnants and dust as the blight came they burnt it all cleanse the corrupted then it occurs to me what the gods jaded resigned already during their age of twilight told me science will never be able to cure the fundamental ill that harbors the spirit mankind which is its tragic essence death and the necessary anguish that accompanies it these words echoed without form sempiternal behold the horizons they get lost into the eternity of these wastelands the bells rang three times and only then i did understand their distance i've never been here (laughs) i love that horrifying old howie phillips would have loved it um so yeah the band is cosmic putrefaction i've said it before i'm not a massive death metal fan but i do like some death metal and i like shit like this it's really interesting it's this cool take on it so you should check them out
0: I fully support that. I just you know it's funny is like there are moments like I'll find metal bands and I really love metal bands and just love how like dorky and ridiculous and awesome it all is. Like yeah. dragons fucking rule. Um but there was a moment recently that made me actually start to think that I might like Metallica. And it was like a really badass moment in Stranger Things where I was like, Oh right, this is actually a good song. And this is a badass moment because metal rules, and this is an example of like metal ruling is like this guy playing master of puppets to lure the hell bats and the upside down fucking rules it's great dude
1: i mean i i still say like those the early early metallica shit has its place load has its place the black album has its place i mean it ain't terrible it ain't Megadeth. we'll say that i didn't I did see on
0: Twitter, somebody was like, oh, so all these new Zoomers are getting into Metallica. Let me give you some advice. Their best album is St. Anger.
1: <laughs> <laughs> got him. I still haven't watched Stranger Things. I'm, I'm finishing Barry. So dumb. Dude, you need to. Barry's the, great. The, I, I love Stranger Barry's Things. Barry's great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it. I love it. I'm, I just haven't got to it yet. Barry's great, but this season is harrowing. I. That's what I hear. Mm-hmm. It's worth it. It's good. Well, speaking of harrowing, why don't we go ahead and get into our discussion about some of these shitholes that we've mostly never been to. (laughs) Great. If you'll permit us, audience, a disclaimer. We obviously were not alive or in the know or even in the state for the heyday of these clubs. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I was able to walk inside CBGB's when I was in New York in 2005, it looked like a toilet filled with smaller toilets inside of one giant toilet, that's all I remember. Um, we can't tell you every bit of lore, we weren't there, you know? hmm But the reason that we picked this uh, topic, and this was actually Shane's idea, New York venues are among the most legendary venues, so much that even those of us who didn't discover punk until the nineties, like us, we know their names and we know the bands that made them legendary. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we use, I, I, you know, we found a bunch of articles and also I made pretty liberal use of Drew Stone's fabulous New York hardcore Chronicles YouTube series for our research, which I will link because the interviews that he does with like John Joseph and Billy Milano and Bobby from Biohazard, I mean, they are fantastic character studies <laughs> <laughs> It's just it's too good, man. um so we'll leave, we'll we'll kind of like jump off from this thought, this sort of thesis. There was a time when venues and regionality was extremely important in punk rock. Mm-hmm. am yeah, I right? it was It was territorial. Yeah, and I mean, what what were the main cities in the 70s and the 80s? I mean, when you go back, it's like, you know, you've got San Francisco,
0: you've got L.A., you've got, uh, like, the, and these are unique scenes, right? Like, when yeah. you think about the bands that were coming out of them, San Francisco had, you know, the Dead Kennedys and some of the more art punk and the more controversial stuff. L.A. was just this violent hellhole. Um, and uh, New York was full of awful hardcore uh it so so but like all it really new york was pretty eclectic compared to the other ones but ultimately every scene had its kind of unique and 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 it's very kind of its own flavor um with its own crowds and in every venue had its own thing too and so you kind of it was really important
1: i mean it really truly was important for punk and hardcore yeah, I mean, it like it it was almost like you needed to plant the seed in a certain place for it to flourish and develop. You know, we wherever you are, New York and L.A. I'm not saying there weren't scenes in other places. Like D.C., of course, was big. But yeah, like, Detroit. I mean, Detroit was yeah. like rock and roll. I mean, like that's where
0: you get the Stooges in MC5. You know, and
1: even Miami like was was no slouch. But I think that was a little bit later. But mm-hmm. you you know. These bands really—they have their genesis in New York and L.A., and they—they right. they sprinkled the little seeds out there so all the other shit would grow. And they came from these places, these dives, these legendary stages. That you know, when once you see them up close and personal,
0: yeah, you're like, what? What even is? You're this? like, how? How? I mean, the Ramones are called. The Johnny Appleseeds of punk rock for a reason. Like they were, like they, like so many bands. I mean, Bad Religion started because they saw the Ramones and they were like, "We could do that." And yeah. so many other bands started because of that. And so, but yeah, the places they started at were fucking shitholes.
1: Yeah, and and I know it's very boomerish for us to be like, "You gotta know your history," but I mean, I think you do. And I mean, sure, today what you have is like. You don't have to go anywhere to see it and I see the upside of that. That means that you can you can sit down and understand a style or a subgenre and learn to play it and learn to write it without ever leaving your home. And when you walk out the door you're more prepared. You don't have to slip and fall on your face mm-hmm. and and deal with, you know, getting chased by a bum with a knife or something yeah, <laughs> down yeah. an alleyway. But it it is there is the argument that the shit never would have existed if it wasn't for what these people did and what they went through, and right. you know, like I said, venues and regionality important, very important, and they were important here in Daytona and Central Florida. I mean, that's kind of why you know because we have our connections to our venues, you know, mm-hmm. coffee connection. I just I was just talking to somebody today. I was out with a coworker, uh, a couple of my coworkers, just getting lunch, and one of my coworkers' husbands. You know, he was he was going to shows in the early two thousands here in town. Like he's like, oh, coffee connection, and he was just like naming off shows and people. And I'm like, yeah, because those places are hubs that connect you. Yeah, and crazy shit happens, and fun fun shows happen, <laughs> and you get to yeah. you know you really get to experience something more than just like the song. Right. Well, so we picked five, or I should say, I picked five. Yeah, you picked five, and I get to read the script. Well, this is the system. You got <laughs> no, a better system. You, let's do it.
0: Let's, no, you are a better writer. I mean, the, the shows that I did notes on bombed. So, like, you are a better writer. You put better notes. You do better journalism. I get to show up and tell the jokes and be the handsome face of the show. Oh, is that what it is? I mean, I mean I'm not a doctor anymore, so that's fine.
1: <laughs> we got to talk about that? <laughs> now... We picked five. These are not the only ones. You know, if you're someone who is in the know, you'd be like, well, why didn't they blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know us by now. If you're listening to the show, we can't cover everything. We have lives to live. But these are the five ones that we kind of knew and were able to find out stuff about. The five that really popped into my mind when we decided to do the topic.
0: Yeah. Real quick before <clears throat> we dive into that, um, this is a side note. Did you get the text I sent you on uh, that was Reagan Youth? Did de- you G Degenerated de- de- song? No. It's the song that the Lone Rangers play. Like, the Uh, Lone Rangers covered Reagan Youth. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, they wouldn't write their own song for that movie. Yeah. That makes sense. So, Anyway, I wanted to make sure you got it, because you didn't fucking say anything about it. I don't think I got it. I texted it to you right to your face. I don't know. I sent it to you while I was gone.
1: Oh, that was the Spotify link? Yes. Yeah, I didn't click on that. You should have, because that's the song. (laughs) Okay, so... We're going to start, I think, at the beginning, our first stop, this tour of places we've mostly never been to, is the uh-huh. legendary Max's Kansas City.
0: <laughs> so, I my favorite thing about this is the first time I heard about this was on um, a deep dive on the band Suicide,
1: and... <laughs> I would fucking hate it here. <laughs> oh yeah, this. I mean, it's it, most of these places. You know, we're too not old, but we're too set in our ways at this point. Like we, we had our desperate days of flopping around on filthy floors and sweat going everywhere. I don't think I'd enjoy it very much anymore. No, 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 no. Um. So Max's was located at two thirteen Park Avenue South, open in sixty five. Mm. Originally a steakhouse and bar that specialized in steak, lobster, and what a weird time (laughs) apparently the chickpeas were free if you didn't mind everyone sticking their filthy coke nails into the bowls on the bar uh also chicken wings for a time were free with a 50 cent beer i'm sure there was a lot of meat on those flats that sounds god-awful
0: that's like a steak in a strip club yeah (laughs)
1: it's like a strip club breakfast buffet (laughs) So the original owner was named Mickey Ruskin, a lawyer who was, I mean, probably so mobbed up he was part cigar. He <sighs> eventually signed a place over to a guy named Tommy Dean Mills, who renovated and reopened Max's in 1975. This is okay. really where this is where it begins, really. Yeah, Max's already was kind of catered to a more artistic crowd before the renovations. On any given night, you might find Allen Ginsberg, you know, there trying to just talking to somebody, trying to justify his stance on Diddlin' in the form of a shitty poem he didn't write down. Maybe he'd bump into <laughs> William S. Burroughs as he frantically cut up an actual story he'd written and then pieced it back together like a madman on the sticky floor. Mm-hmm. And don't forget, mm-hmm. don't trip over Lou Reed, who's probably nodding off with his face in a urinal because the Velvet Underground kicked its smacky ass out in 1970. <laughs> you might mm-hmm. see Dennis Hopper and Twiggy dancing in the street with Mick Jagger. Or, as Bowie put it, me, Iggy, and Lou Reed at one table with absolutely nothing to say to each other, just looking at each other's makeup.
0: <laughs> that sounds horrible. Have you seen the video of uh, Dancing in the Street with Mick Jagger and, um, and David Bowie, but there's no music. It's just their. F- <laughs> yeah.
1: That's <laughs> hilarious. Just, squeak, 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 squeak. just a lot of scuffing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's the best video on the internet. Besides now, I, the dinosaur saying hi. I haven't seen that. It's Jurassic Park and they overdubbed all the dinosaurs showing up, just going, Hey!
1: <laughs> hi! <laughs> you <gotta sit> <laughs> so, you know, if, if you were at Max's during this time, if you maybe if you wandered in the back room, you might find Andy Warhol surrounded by his entourage, screaming about the artistic merit of a couch cushion. It's everything. I want it! Just being a real <laughs> Ongo Gablogian. But <laughs> Max's glory days, undoubtedly the mid to late 70s, when Mills hired Booker Peter Crowley. Now, Crowley saved Mills from turning Max's into a disco by booking local bands, and in doing so, he managed to enshrine Max's as one of the birthplaces of punk rock. And it was all by pure happenstance. They were going to mm-hmm. go with a disco format, and this guy was like, no, I know some people. Yeah. So the, the, it was just a who's who of undisputed legends. You had Iggy and the Stooges. Television, Suicide, Bowie, The Cramps, Devo, Alice Cooper, The Ramones, Blondie, The Misfits, Talking Heads, The Dead Boys, The Stimulators, and The New York Dolls. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The Stooges shows that Max's also apparently. I read this. They marked the beginning of Iggy's onstage self mutilation. Though it seems the first <laughs> time he did it, it was by accident. He fell into a glass table or something. Yeah, yeah. You could um, argue I've, that he did that on purpose. Threw himself into it. So.
0: Yeah, he probably did. I want to say he also would do this thing where he created his own instrument, which was just putting his microphone in a blender on stage.
1: <laughs> God, he was probably so junked out. So so
0: junked out i mean they if you read please kill me they had in their in their funhouse the Stooges funhouse mm. they had their own room called the shooting gallery which was just covered in blood from uh, from their vein spurts from when they would pull the needles out of their heroin uh, their heroin junk selves like they would pull out the needle would be like, bit and it was like covered in brown spatter Ooh, in this room and they called it the shooting gallery it's horrible it's a horrible it's so please <laughs> it's a read horrible read.
1: it's so horrible um, I mean, I went through and I looked up. I just was looking at different. Uh, like I looked at Wikipedia. I looked at some different interviews and stuff and some oral histories. Just the shows were crazy. Bob Marley and the Wailers opened for Springsteen at Max's. That's cool. Uh, And Springsteen would play acoustic sets apparently a lot. And I mean, just seeing Bob Marley and Springsteen on the same stage. I mean, that's just insanity. No matter how many times you cover your dreads and weed and you smoke them. Now. <laughs> One of the most important things about Max's was that since it catered to a more artistic crowd, that was just the vibe, that was just how it went, even when punk rock came in. And back then, we're not talking PC. We're talking, like, fight everybody, do coke, do heroin, stab, stab, Switchblade, like,
0: yeah, it's it's dangerous. Punk, like, very dangerous punk.
1: Very dangerous.
0: This was probably, actually, this opened before the word punk
1: was coined. Yeah, that's how old it is. Um, But even when that stuff started happening, like you see the Ramones, you see the Misfits, the Dead Boys, the Stimulators, it was still a more open place. In today's terms, we probably call it LGBTQ plus friendly, but back then, all the salami-headed goons at CBs called it a gay club. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So there was actually a rivalry between Max's and CBs, CBGBs, the club we'll get to a little later. The rivalry came to a head When Wayne County and the Electric Chairs played a gig at CB's sometime in the late 70s, this guy, Handsome Dick Manitoba, that is -hmm. a 70s name, he Uh was the vocalist of the Dictators. He jumped on stage to ruin the Electric Chairs set. So Electric Chairs vocalist, Jane County, broke his collarbone with a mic stand. Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) Uh-huh. Yep. As for whether or not Max's was actually a quote-unquote gay club, as it was called at the time, Crowley denies that. Um, In a a, a 2017 interview he did with Rolling Stone, he said, I got along fine with people in both scenes, though there was definitely a bit of homophobia running through the CBs crowd. Makes sense. That's where New York hardcore really had its... Brutes Sure Um, More of the gay community Hung out at Max's But it wasn't a gay place It was a place for artists And was accepting of all types of people But CBGB was a place Where everyone was trying to prove How tough and rough they were Yet really underneath You could throw a bug at them And they'd scream like little girls (laughs) 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 And this is New York in the 70s No shortage of cockroaches And rats to throw at people (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So Max's Kansas City Closed its doors In November of 1981 I mean that's two years Before I was born And the lineup on that final show, the Beastie Boys opened for the Bad Brains. That's cool. How fucking insane is that? Do you know it's legendary when you're seeing it? Or is it only later? I don't know. I think it's got to be. I mean, no,
0: I feel like people, I feel like Bad Brains is one of those bands that people knew were like, they're legendary. Um, I think Beastie Boys, you know, at the time in 81, they were still kind of a joke.
1: Yeah, because they were still kind of like a sloppy punk band at the time, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, and they and they were kind of like, I mean, and nobody took them seriously until um uh, what's that first album? Is it Licensed to Ill? Licensed to Ill, yeah, yeah. When Licensed to Ill came out, everybody went, "Oh shit!" Like they are onto something. So that's Max's. Um, the next venue we have, the next stop is A7. Um, now A7 is considered one of the birthplaces of New York hardcore. Uh, hardcore. obviously, obviously next to CBGB's. Um, but to hear the locals tell it, A7 was a real heart of the scene in the early 80s. This place is the place that I would have burned down as <laughs> soon as I saw it because I can't stand it. Like, like if, if I could go back in time and burn down A7 to prevent Madball from happening, then I would. Like I, I would so, be the Terminator so selfish, of New York Hardcore. I would so be the Terminator selfish, of Hardcore. I'd show up and be like, ah, like, like, where's, where's John Connor or whoever sings for Madball, and then kill his parents <laughs> and stuff like that. Like, Dude, because you, I,
1: if you prevent Madball, what are the Catholics, what are the Catholics going to listen to? <laughs> I who
0: cares? So, now according to SOD vocalist Billy Milano, quote: "I love CB's, but we only borrowed CB's on Sundays for five hours. I've always felt." That we weren't appreciated. And then he screams at his dogs for a portion of the rest of the interview. Uh, for a good portion of the rest of the interview. Par for the course for a guy who wrote a song called Jimi Hendrix with only one single line of lyrics. You're dead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's just a pur- it's the purple haze riff. He goes, duh, 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 you're dead. <laughs> 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 So stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that interview is very funny. I want to link it because he's he's like, oh yeah, you know, you know, a seven. Oh, shut the fuck up! He's screaming at his
0: like you said, character, character, uh, oh, uh, just like just shots. So good. Now, A7 was small, much like the venues that we were used to. Uh, if you replace the pedigree with sand, uh, and A7 was located in East Village, which during the early 80s, you had a river of heroin running through it. Because, I mean, I think most of New York did, but that <laughs> specific area was like ground zero of heroin. Sailing the seas of heroin. Yeah. Rough, rough time, uh, for New York. <laughs> New York was not in a good place back then. Now A7 was only active from 1980 to 1984, but in that brief period of time it hosted some of the bands uh some of the bands that would go on to make hardcore history. Many of them New York City locals like Agnostic Front, Cro-Mags, Cause for Alarm, Bad Brains, Beastie Boys, Warzone, Black Flag, The Abused, SSD, Reagan Youth and Murphy's Law. I mean it's cool to think that a venue would have all of those like they they are legendary bands whether you like them or not. Like you have to respect that they have made a a pretty big dent in the world of music.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine. What what must it have been like for Black Flag to play in New York in the early 80s? I wonder how fun Oh, they would have hated horrible. it. They would have hated it because they
0: hated everything. They were miserable. <laughs> like, all of them were fucking miserable. If you read anything about Black Flag, they were all miserable. Like, they never yeah. had any fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, Henry Rollins does not look like he ever has fun. And he seems I, like a great dude, but he always seems like he's right. He's like a few seconds away from being like, fuck this. Yeah, he never has fun. <laughs> so, I mean his his
0: the podcast he does, like whenever they put out a random episode is pretty good. Uh it's pretty funny and he seems like he has a good time. Like I think he only has a good time when he's talking about music. Not even playing it, just talking about it. Just talking about it cuz he's like I won't play anymore. That now, Jesse Malin, uh is it Jesse Malin? Malin? I think so. I don't I don't really know this guy. Right. Jesse Malin, vocalist and guitarist of New York hardcore band Heart Attack did a bunch of booking at A7 starting at the age of 14. That's kind of cool. Like, be like hey I like your band come play here <laughs> 14 now, year old kid <laughs> 14 year old kid and he was like yeah well, like I, if Riley told me to go play somewhere I'd be like no
1: <laughs> no <laughs> no
0: now it was probably also his precociousness that led to the hiring of Warzone's Ray Bees and Murphy's Law Murphy's Laws that's horrible to say I know <laughs> Murphy's Laws uh, Jimmy Gestapo to run the door uh, they would just punch you in the head instead of taking your ticket and marking your hand so you just <laughs> walked in with a black eye or a bloody nose you knew you were in now A7 was also the unofficial headquarters of former misfit Bobby Steele. Once he was banned from CB's and Max's, probably for mistaking a microphone for a crack pipe. Um, I think he had a tiny leg too, didn't he? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I think he had a tiny leg. Now, uh, (laughs) I don't know why it has to do with anything. He, You know, it's fine. Now, uh No part of New York was really fit for human habitation in the 70s and early 80s, like we talked about. Um But the East Village was most decidedly not a welcoming place during A7's heyday. In a 2013 interview with the Village Voice, Malin said of the area, quote, It was a ghetto. Drug dealers were everywhere. We were coming into this area, these white kids, most of us, in this area where people were really struggling, end quote. So that's kind of the thought about the time. Now, uh, it's,
1: you know, if you think about it, though, that's... That's one of those things we never considered as as kids, you know because we we had shows in sketchy neighborhoods too. You're coming into an area that you can conveniently leave.
0: Yeah, right, right. Mm. yeah, so yeah, and that's you know we showed up with like vans full of like equipment, we're just like, nah, we'll just we we'll, we'll make some noise and leave like we were we were causing a ruckus in the neighborhoods.
1: yeah, if you think about it, it's not really a nice thing
0: no I mean that's kind of like punk is just not generally nice I think but um anyway now a7 reflected the toughness of its neighborhood though so touring bands pulling up to the club for the first time were greeted with spray- a spray painted message on the outside of the building quote out of town bands remember where you are end quote and Vinny stigma would be standing next to it crowbar in hand just to make sure everyone got the message now today <laughs> Malin uh Remarked. still runs the- <laughs> you better know better uh now uh Today, and still runs the space as a music venue under the name Niagara. Uh, and back in the early 2010s, a bit of controversy erupted when a plaque was hung in the back room where the hardcore shows used to be held. It reads, A7, 1980-1984, to 1984, Pioneers of American Hardcore and Birthplace of NYHC, for those who, give, who gave their hearts and souls in this room. So, it's a bit heavy-handed, but that's, I feel like new york emotion is like that just like very just like lay it on
1: it's, thick it used to be it's a, it's a it used to be a city of immigrants man emotional people my people yeah yeah <laughs> my, be- my not people my people
0: well no my people too but my people
1: didn't my people got out of there your they people were Pittsburgh. emotional who the uh, the irish the irish the i mean you you push your emotions down but you still have them and yeah, then they I come push... up with your knees when you start doing the step dance
0: oh i don't do the step dance well, you should. You probably feel better. No, I have bad knees. Now, uh, now the, the, the sentiment was a bit heavy handed. Uh, and there's, and, and then there's a list of bands that doesn't include all of bands, uh, that some people should felt should have been included. So that's a whole thing. Now, on the topic of the plaque, Bobby Steele said, tear it off the wall. <laughs> uh, cause, you know, whatever. Uh, I feel like he's got a chip on his shoulder for several reasons. Now, uh, not ringing, not a ringing endorsement, especially from a half corpse in a top hat.
1: Tear it off the wall.
0: <laughs> tear it off the wall. I don't like it. I don't like it. Put it in the trash. <laughs> I was the drummer for the misfits, but now I'm not. <laughs> Tear it off the wall. So I just I just imagine that's my favorite new character. It's just him just sitting. Tear it off the wall.
1: <laughs> get out of here. I don't like it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Go <Gotta> get going. <laughs> Get going, you gotta go! (laughs) Now, despite not being as world-famous as CB's or as artistically influential as Max's, A7 holds a special place in the hearts of the people who experienced it. As Billy Milano puts it, quote, There was something about walking up those little stairs into that little door to go inside that little room that made you feel like you were in someone's backyard, end quote. (laughs) It sounds like I wouldn't fit there.
1: It sounds like I wouldn't be able to fit into the building. In someone's backyard.
0: My favorite, my favorite part of that is thinking that this is a very tiny space for <laughs> tiny people, and so now I'm thinking Bobby Steele going, Tear it off the wall. Because he's like, you can't hear him because he's so tiny.
1: <laughs> tiny Bobby Steele.
0: I don't like it. Tear it off the wall.
1: Hey, get it off the wall, you piece of shit. I don't like it. <laughs> get it. It's got to get fucking gone.
0: I'm going to make tiny pins, just like really small <laughs> enamel pins of tiny Bobby Steele.
1: The next venue on our list is a venue called L'Amour, but it's pronounced by the locals as L'Amour's. 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 It's the rock capital of Brooklyn. So L'Amour, I'm going to call it Mm -hmm. Lemoore's. L'Amour's opened as a disco in 1978 before they changed formats in 81 to become a rock slash heavy metal club. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, Lemoore's was located in an industrial section of the borough on 63rd Street. Uh, just picture any alleyway from the 1989 Batman and you got it. Mm-hmm. So DJ Alex Kane was the person most responsible for the changeover of musical styles at Lamore's. He slowly but surely started playing more and more rock and metal to drive the Saturday Night Fever crowd out into the streets where they were most likely robbed and brutally murdered. Now, mm-hmm. those people back then you know that the disco crowd they were just made mostly of pure cocaine, so whether it was junky assailants or feral dogs, <laughs> they were going out. My favorite thing is thinking about like them getting mugged
0: and then they just disappear in a puff of coke <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, he was all cocaine uh, <laughs> well, that's a shame um now d j Kane's specialty i'm thinking d j cocaine. <laughs> Yeah, DJ Cocaine. It's like something from Metal Oculus. <laughs> <laughs> DJ Cocaine! Now, DJ Kane's specialty was playing European and American records and demos. He famously debuted Metallica's demo at Lemores. Mm-hmm. Um And this would expose this weekly crowd of about 3,000 people to brand new groups they would never have otherwise heard. And what he also would do was sync the music to a huge video screen which played horror movies great i love that actually that's actually pretty fucking cool i would have liked it so of course lamora wasn't just a nightclub it was a venue too and it was also known besides the rock capital of brooklyn they called it the cradle of thrash and it hosted basically everyone who was anyone in metal from the 80s all the way up until they closed their doors in 2004 it was just a short list anthrax Biohazard, Carnivore, Corrosion and Conformity, Cramax, DRI, Entombed, Dream Theater, Guns N' Roses, Guar, Iron Maiden, Kiss, King Diamond, Megadeth, Metallica, Nuclear Assault, The Ramones, SOD, Sepultura, Slayer, Soundgarden, Suicidal Tendencies, Testament, Typo, Venom, and Wasp. So awesome.
0: What a Dude. great what a great like pedigree.
1: That is just an insane amount of bands. And, I mean, this was the heyday. And and it's just, oh, yeah, they're playing Lemores. Sepultura is playing Lemores. Yeah. So, Lemore was Slayer's first show on the East Coast. And, apparently, according to the, the little write-up I read, they had no idea they even had fans in New York. And hmm. it was probably due to Carrie King always talking about how swastikas were just like a symbol of chaos, man. It's not a Nazi thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sounds about right. Lemore was also- it off also- the wall. <laughs> Tear it off the wall. I don't-
0: kid, I don't
1: like it. Lemore was also a hotbed for New York Hardcore, and this cross-pollination between the Metalheads and the Hardcore kids, it caused some friction, as, uh-huh. as John Joseph of the Cro-Mags puts it. One time, me and Harley went to see the Bad Brains of Lamore's, and all these metal dudes were there, and one of them punched Harley. Me and Harley fucking fought 80 of these dudes and fucked them up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I mean, he's a formidable dude, but I, I don't know. And so is Harley, because he's like a mixed martial artist yeah see the metal dudes didn't know how to get down in the pit they didn't understand moshin was like an art form yeah people creepy crawling coming within six inches of each other but never smashing into each other the metal motherfuckers didn't understand that and they'd just be like oh shit he bumped into me let me run up and punch him in the back of the head and the next thing you know they get the shit beat out of them and the next week they'd show up with a fucking shaved head <laughs> <laughs> aside from kirk hammett drunk heckling the bands that he could shred harder than apparently he would get drunk <laughs> and fucking yell at them from the side of the stage, <laughs> which is his right. Cause he's Kirk Hammett. There's no shortage of metal anecdotes connected with Lemore's heyday. And we can't cover them all, but carnivore and typo were New York city and Lemore's institutions. So mm-hmm. here's Kenny Hickey from typo on some Pete steel controversy of which there were many. Of course. This is a long one. I'm not going to do a voice. So no, That's fine. Peter cut his hair short because he just filled out all these forms to try to be a cop in Nassau County. <laughs> Can you imagine? You're in Long Island. You get pulled over by Pete Steele. <laughs> get out of the car.
0: <laughs> he just lifts up the back of your car so that the tires are spinning like he's so scary. And then he, and then his gun is just attached to a chain. It's like so- That's how he wears it.
1: <laughs> he's got a chain gun. He's got a chain belt a monster. He just he like flops his dick on the car just to like <laughs> establish dominance.
0: Yeah, that's that's his fucking nightstick. <laughs> this
1: guy, he was like a, he was like an eight foot tall vampi- vampire. And he beat me with his dick. <laughs> <laughs> so Pete thought he was going to give up the rock and roll thing and become a policeman. But of course, he started typo negative instead. Once places like CBGB, Lamore, and Ruthie's got too small for crossover shows, promoters packaged the bands with major thrash acts and booked them in bigger venues. Motorhead and Venom were some of the first groups to take crossover acts on the road. Generally, the response was good. Then, bands from other subgenres of metal booked gigs with popular crossover acts, but with mixed results. When Carnivore played Lamore, they used to throw out lamb's heads during the <laughs> show because Sal Abrascado's father worked in a meat factory. <laughs> I think Sal was the drummer. He was the drummer for Carnivore, and he was also the drummer on Agnostic Front's Cause for Alarm record, where they it was like the crossover record. But Okay, okay. That. But yeah, Sal's father, he works at the meat factory. The raw meat was dripping blood, and it stunk, so the owners of Lamora banned it. So Peter goes up to the mic at the next show and goes, the Lamore owners, Mike and George said we can't throw out meat at this show. So we're going to throw out 50 White Castle hamburgers. (laughs) Peter was Henny Youngman dressed up like Herman Munster. He was one of a kind. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, So anyway, Lemores had a few spinoff clubs, one on Staten Island, one on Long Island, and another in Queens, which is now a Korean market. But the real Lemores will always be Brooklyn because as Bobby from Biohazard puts it, when he was asked by Drew Stone whether it's Queens or Brooklyn, he says, what are you kidding? How fast you want me to catch the beating when I go back home? Brooklyn.
0: <laughs> nice.
1: In that same interview, Bobby talks about his favorite show at Lamore's and it pretty much sums up the club to a T. Slayer. Rain and blood. Fuck yeah. Insanity. <laughs> 2,000 fucking people in there. Just unbearable. Crazy, but you wouldn't miss a minute of it. Fucking nuts. Now go get me a slice, you piece of shit. <laughs> so the original Lemoores officially closed its doors in February 2004, ending an almost 25 year run as one of the biggest, most influential metal venues to have ever existed.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it. It sounds like a wild place.
1: Yeah, I mean, it would have been cool like to see to see them in there. I think I think the Chromags shot a video there, if I'm not mistaken. It was a pretty big stage. I think that we yeah. got a no video is there, but I could be wrong.
0: Yeah, I'd also like to kind of remind everybody, these are not like large venues like the House of Blues or like, I mean, these are like usually like small dive bars and they're, there's just enough space to fit a bunch of people in, but they're not huge places.
1: Yeah, I think Lamoras is probably the biggest one because yeah. A7 was a whole, Max's was not big, CB's we'll talk about is not very big either. So, right. Lemora's yeah, exactly. was more of a metal club. It could do bigger shows, but it, I don't even think it was as big as like House of Blues or Hard Rock
0: no that's what i'm saying it's like these are not like these are not your like oh i went to go see john mayer play at the fucking amphitheater types yeah. of places these are small now uh let's talk about the tunnel yeah. uh, this is a venue that i'm not as familiar with um in the in the speakings of new york city venues but i think it's an important one um based on what i'm reading here so what a7 and Lamore were to hardcore metal so was the tu- so was tunnel or the tunnel to the genre of hip-hop and it's really important that we talk about hip-hop kind of coming up in uh, in the same way the punk rock did, it's very, it's, the parallels are uncanny.
1: Yeah. It's
0: very, it's very, like, they are, they are essentially, like, the D, they share DNA. They share, like, DIY DNA. Now, uh Tunnel opened in 1986 and was, for over a decade, the site of New York's most exclusive hip-hop party. It was a place where DJs broke hit records and eventually legendary performances went down. So, the event was initially started as a party called Mecca, run by a white Jewish girl named Jessica Rosenblum. Uh, now, basically, Jessica ran the door and decided who was allowed in. And a young DJ, uh, a young DJ Funkmaster Flex, provided everything else. Uh, you know, the party, the music, the talent, and the fun. Um, I would go to a party with Funkmaster Flex as a DJ. That sounds like fucking, that sounds fucking rad. Now, Jessica was Flex's manager at the time. Uh, and you'd be correct in assuming that, yes, it does seem a little fucked up that some upper crust white chick inserted herself into a, into and tried to control black culture. Uh, white people will do it every time they get the chance. So, uh, no surprise there. Um, especially during hip hop's adolescent years. Uh, that's a whole, that's a whole thing that we, don't have time to get into today. Big old um, can of worms. Big old can of worms. Essentially, not good. Um, and not a good look for white people. I'll say that. Now, Tunnel was owned by NYC nightlife impres- impresario Peter Gatch- Gation? G- G- Gatian. G- Gatian?
1: Gatian. I don't know. How to I don't know. You can say his uh, name I don't know how to say his fucking name.
0: All right. All right. So Peter, who was eventually deported to his native Canada for charges related to drug trafficking and his many nightclubs, uh, that guy, he's he's the one that owned Tunnel. Now, Ecstasy was a primary narcotic that was making rounds at the time. And remember the movie Party Monster? Well, Tunnel was one of the places Michael El League and the in the club kids frequented. Uh, when they weren't dismembering each other and throwing their body parts into the Hudson River, they were usually doing X at this place. So uh, that's just so kind was, of to give you some insight. So was Patrick Bateman. So is Patrick Bateman. So, you know, there's a lot of, lot of uh, you know. <laughs> but not
1: on the hip-hop night because Huey Lewis and the News, uh, they're a little too black for him.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was also murdering somebody that Huey yeah, Lewis and yeah, the News. So, you know, there's that too. Yeah, yeah. So, now, Tunnel had actually been a former railway freight terminal, uh, and the remnants of the old tracks were still visible under the dance floor. So that's, I mean, that's, just, I feel like, very New York, where it's like, this thing used to be this thing that was... <laughs> you know useful and now it's this other thing that's more useful in a different way. Um so it's very much in line with uh the a place like Stefan would go to. <laughs> this place has everything. Sandworms, geishas, rock eaters, a seven level course in adult education and if you want to relax, you can kick back in your very own subway sleeping bag. It's that thing where you're on the train and you sit between two guys in fubu jackets. <laughs> That's actually a really good stuff. On that's a, I I I appreciate that you wrote that joke.
1: Well, I actually copied that joke. I did I did not oh, I shit. did not attempt to write like John Mulaney. No, that's I think that's impossible. <laughs> How could you?
0: Peter Gation gave Jessica Rosenblum Sunday nights to throw her mecha hip hop party with Flex, probably not thinking it would ever become the massive event that it did in the 90s. Subsequently, the popularity of Tunnel grew to the point that the line outside was legendary, shutting down an entire city block for the 2000 people, the 2000 plus people that were waiting to get inside. And the line wasn't just because it was, it was such an exclusive place. It was also because people were being patted down and searched. NYPD would stand at the door with mug shots, trying to match faces to wanted criminals. Again, white people. <laughs>
1: yeah. Horrible. This wasn't <laughs> happening at CBGB's where there was probably a lot worse shit going on. Yeah. Like the guy who famously like killed his girlfriend and made her into soup for the homeless. Uh, that happened at CBGB's? Well, it happened around that time. It was, uh, john joseph talks about it in his drew stone interview he's like danny rockowitz with the uh, homeless uh, girlfriend soup <laughs> chapter
0: up made her in soup so wild i mean again it was a wild time now in a 2012 complex article on the tunnel prodigy from Mod mob deep Talked about how he would circumvent security. So he says, "quote uh, We ha- we would have connections to the door, and they used to meet us in the bathroom with a backpack full of shit—razors, screwdrivers, guns. I'd pass out the shit to everyone, and we'd go have fun. Uh, it was just to protect ourselves. We used to wear a lot of jewelry. We were mob deep uh, in case somebody thought something was sweet. We needed weapons." End quote. So
1: <laughs> it's an entirely different atmosphere, especially back then
0: i mean that's no different than like our friends carry. well it is very different because our friends were not in mob deep but like yeah. we did carry around like brass knuckles and shit for stupid reasons because we yeah. thought it was cool but we didn't, we didn't need, need them
1: we didn't need 50 or 60 goons around us who at the drop of right. a hat would like catch a felony for us
0: Nah, i relate to mob deep on this one <laughs> oh okay <laughs>
1: okay <laughs>
0: i couldn't this even say that with a straight face it's so sentence <laughs> i've
1: never heard i never thought i hear you say no,
0: I don't. It's because it's not true. It's not a true thing. Now, uh, indeed, the tunnel was notorious for violence, though shootings weren't all that common. As Gation said in the same complex article, quote, on Sundays, we used to have anywhere from 60 to 90 security people from different neighborhoods that knew who the troublemakers were. And we did an ex- exhaustive search. And all the years we were there, the only shooting incident was some guy who snuck, a gu- snuck in a gun with his wheelchair and shot himself in the calf. End quote. <laughs> Wild. Ooh, see, I think that's that's like one of those things that would end up on like a craziest thing you see in a show list. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. So now but, but there were some funny moments too, like when Mob Deep bumped into Wu Tang one night, Prodigy said, quote, one night we were in the tunnel, uh, mad deep, 50, 60 of us, uh, and we just walked in and we were walking to the dance floor. Coming toward us was Wu Tang, like 60 or 70 of these guys. Um, I also like the idea of thinking of like, Wu Tang is like 60 or 70 people. <laughs> they like that. They are. Was,
1: it's like, yeah, it they feels have so like so many it. affiliates.
0: Yeah. Now, the rappers knew each other, but the crews from the neighborhoods didn't. It looked like the 300 fight was about to go down. Uh, I was walking in front. Old Dirty Bastard was in front of his crew, and he was mad sweaty. Uh, he grabbed me and just hugged me. That shit was disgusting. Him sweating all over me saying, I love you, P. I love you. He kissed my cheek. I, sho- I showed him love, but the shit was so sweaty. <laughs> End quote.
1: <laughs> now, I actually... I I took there was a certain word that was repeated through here about six or seven times, and I subbed out um <laughs> the uh, like guys for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. You know, it was just, I, I appreciate you can't you did say
0: that. that. Yeah, yeah. Now this was the era when hip hop was about to break into the mainstream, the bad boy era. Uh, but things were still underground. So, and there's a lot of really cool stories about underground hip hop in New York at the time. Like some of my favorite like readings, like Talib Kweli's book. Uh, on on this time was like really cool. On any given Sunday, you could see Nas, Diddy, just about anyone who was anyone at the bar or in the VIP area. And Tunnel was where DMX broke and filmed the video for Get At Me, Dog. <laughs> now, said DMX of the shoot, quote, it was hot as a motherfucker. It was hot as a motherfucker. I don't know how to do the DMX voice. That's <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it was it was hot as a motherfucker
0: And the stage was crowded The locks were there uh, Onyx was there Everybody in the crowd had those leashes The kind that make it look like you're walking an invisible dog <laughs> When I performed <laughs> Which is fucking weird uh, When I performed uh, And it's the only time I've ever done this I performed one song at least 12 times One fucking song Each time I did Get At Me Dog It was like the first time I only had a few songs at the time anyway But the energy was up so I just kept giving it to them uh, where my dogs at? Was was I was wearing overalls, uh, and when I finished, the shit was around my waist. <laughs> End quote. Sounds like he had fun. Now, Tunnel closed down several times during its run, but eventually Funkmaster Flex took over the hip-hop party himself and started booking, which is probably how it should have been from the start. Sans hipster white bitch, get her out of there. We don't (laughs) need no Jessica uh, running this stuff. Now, finally, Tunnel closed for good in 2001 due to non-payment of rent and Rudy Giuliani ruining the
1: city. (laughs) Wild. I mean, it sounds crazy. Like, you know, it's one of those things where... Like I could have, we could have gone to CBs. We could have gone to a seven if we had been around, but I feel like the tunnel would have been way too fucking hardcore.
0: Yeah. And also it sounds like it was way too exclusive.
1: Yeah. there I, I looked up this oral history of the tunnel and um, Michael. Uh, oh, what's his name? Michael Rapaport. <laughs> yeah. He talks about going there. You know, Cause he's been like, he was like a big fan of hip hop since, you know, he was a kid. He was in like uh higher learning and shit. And he talks about getting like trounced by security guards. And he talks about Jessica not letting him in. <laughs> <laughs> nice. He's like, oh, this fucking white bitch. It's like, well, you're, you know, I mean, Mike, come on. <laughs> I know you're down with tribe, but like, you're, you know. <laughs> I like Michael Rappaport, though. He's, yeah, he's great. he's great. All right. Well, that takes us to the end. And of course, it's the one that we've probably all been expecting since, you know, you looked at the title of this episode. And that is CB. GBs yeah you can smell it from here oh now CBs is perhaps the most famous New York City music venue at least when it comes to I mean shit anything I mean CBs and Carnegie Hall and Mm -hmm. uh, it was opened in 1973 by a guy named Hilly Crystal who looked like he was a pimp for bears not I'm not talking about big hairy gay men I'm talking about actual bears
0: actual bears yeah
1: actual bears look at some pictures of him from the 70s Jesus Christ CBGBs. Now, I knew it was an acronym, but I forgot what it stood for. And it stands for country bluegrass and blues, which are the musical genres Hilly originally intended the club to focus on. And if you think about it, New York City, you know, it doesn't really sound like a country bluegrass and blues town, maybe a blues town. Um, But remember... At this time, most people were just like listening to Karen Carpenter in the soundtrack for American Graffiti. So,
0: right, right, right. Everything was bland. Yeah.
1: I mean, Sabbath, what was that? 74? 72? I don't know. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. Now, actually, the club's official name, CBGBs and uh, umfug, OMFUG, O M F U G, the latter part, which stands for Other Music for Uplifting Gormandizers. Mm-hmm. Gormandizer, anyone doesn't know, is usually someone who never stops eating. Okay, but in this case, Hilly intended it to mean someone who is voraciously consuming music. Now, omfug is also the sound that Paul Bearer from Sheer Terror makes when an immigrant takes a contracting job away from him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's good.
1: Seabees was located at 315 Bowery, a part of Manhattan that now caters to the the chic and the hip. But back in the 70s, it was where a homeless crack addict would kill you with a brick from a nearby collapsed building just for being alive. Mm -hmm, Now, mm -hmm. Seabees was originally intended to be more of a blues-oriented venue, as we said. And Hilly, despite looking like a beefier version of Frank Serpico, he was open to showcasing all kinds of crazy music. And in the mid to late 70s, there was a lot of crazy music bubbling up from New York's underground. Yes. Soon, CBs became synonymous with early punk and proto-punk bands like the Talking Heads, Television, the Patti Smith Group, Blondie, Dead Boys, the Ramones, the Misfits, the Cramps, the B-52s, Suicide, and Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, among many others.
0: Man, television is... uh, Marquee Moon is such a great record. Like I I discovered it pretty recently, and I'm like, I I wish I would have found it sooner.
1: I can't get into it.
0: That's fine. Everybody's got their thing. I like it because I because I like uh I like I like sad boy stuff.
1: Now at the time, the fair at Seabees was pretty similar to what Max's was offering, Sans the chickpeas covered in Coke's knot, <laughs> until the eighties came around and brought New York hardcore with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now to hear some of the people who were there to tell it. The famed New York Hardcore Sunday matinees were what kept CB's in business and established its worldwide reputation. The shows were usually sold out, just bursting with kids, all punching each other to get a good look at whatever legend was making history on the tiny stage. So yes, A7, Lemores, all of these places were important, but cbs that was where the big dogs came out to play. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Bad Brains. Pro Mags, Leeway, Warzone, Agnostic Front, Reagan Youth, Murphy's Law, Sheer Terror, Gorilla Biscuits, and Sick of It All. These mm-hmm, were the groups mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who set the tone for the hardcore genre for decades to come, and they played some of their most memorable sets at CB's. In John Joseph's New York Hardcore Chronicles interview, when he was asked what club he missed the most, he said, Seabee Jeebies, obviously. Max's was a shithole. (laughs) He says it just like that. (laughs) Max's was a shithole. Any fucking documentary that came out about CBGBs, it was always about the fucking old crusty punk rockers from whatever era of the 70s. But from 80 all the way to the closing, the fucking hardcore scene is what kept the doors open on that fucking place, and we never got acknowledgement of that. Hilly knew it. That's how he said (laughs) it. Hilly knew it. Hilly knew it. Now, of course, Hardcore has a way of overstaying its welcome, <laughs> as we well know. And by the uh-huh. early 90s, due to a large amount of violence, which is detailed in many of his interviews. So, for instance, Saab from Marauder, uh-huh. putting on he, he takes his sneakers off and he ties them around, his, puts them around his shoulders and he puts on boots and then he kicks people in the face. Saab from Marauder, yes. the guitarist, uh, minus also the original vocalist for Marauder before Jorge. He used to sort of like nunchuck hapless bystanders with padlocks on chains. Very violent. Yeah. Well, I mean
0: and all that stuff too was happening in the punk scene. I mean, I think the singer The Dead Boys, like Steve Baters or whatever his name was, got stabbed in the stomach outside of CB's, like uh like Didi Ramon got his like got I think bottled outside of that by by uh an ex of his. Like like all kinds of crazy stuff was happening at that place too. Like it wasn't just those
1: guys. Well Hilly apparently thought it was the hardcore scene. So hardcore was banned from CBs for several years in the 90s, uh, but it was eventually allowed back. And if I'm not mistaken, the New York hardcore documentary from the 90s, where you can see like crown of thorns, 25 to life vision of disorder. Um, I think that a lot of that footage is from CBs. It could be wrong, but I think that's where it's from. Yeah. Uh, it's on YouTube. If you want to watch it uh, in 2005, CBGB's landlord, the Bowery Residence Committee, those commie pinkos, uh, they sued CB's for $90,000 in back rent. But Hilly denied that he'd ever been notified that there had been a rent increase. Because up until then, I think it was 19000 a month. Yeah, which is a bonkers amount of money. Yeah, but I mean, I guess in New York, not so much. Yeah. Um, eventually, it was decided that CBGB's would close its doors by September 30th, 2006, a CB's merch store stayed in the spot for a few months after the closing, but that eventually closed as well. Hilly died of lung cancer in 2007, unfortunately, but his club was reopened at the Newark International Airport as CBGB's lab, lounge, Ugh. and bar, which is kind of a travesty. It's Yeah, that feels bad. It's hard to imagine HR doing backflips off the stage monitors while people charge their laptops and eat a $42 cheeseburger. Ugh, now, as like I that. said at the beginning of this episode, I did actually get to go to CBGB's before it closed. I was in New York in 2005 visiting Scuba Steve. And even though there wasn't a show, I had missed Cold World there the week before. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if that was my CBGB's experience, like Cold World and Righteous Jams, like just the, the fucking hype bands of the day. Um, I wanted to see it. So one of the days that I was there, we went into Manhattan. Well, he lived in Manhattan. Or no, he lived in Brooklyn. We went to Manhattan and we found it. It's open to the public. Walk in. So I did. I walked in. I looked around. I looked at the stage. I looked at the shit on the walls. I looked at the bathroom. Uh I threw up in my mouth a little. (laughs) And then I left. Because, yes, CBGB's is legendary. But... I was not a part of that legend. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, Nicely's means more to me. Uh Sure. And I'm sure most people who treasure the time they spent in punk rock venues like we do, mostly pre-internet of course, they probably say the same thing. I mean, Yeah. Today, CB's is just a brand. It's like Hard Rock Cafe. You can buy the shirts at like Sears, you know. I mean, well, we don't have a Sears anymore, but you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah, Target. Yeah, I'm sure you can get a CBGB shirt at Target, you know, at some point. Um, but even though, you know, it's it's important to know what happened there, even in a general sense. Punk and hardcore would not be the same without CBs, without Max's, without any of these places. And New York City, like regionality doesn't matter anymore. But regionality was important and New York, was massively important for art and music from the 70s to the mid 90s. I mean everything would be different if it wasn't for New York and LA and you know, now New York's just like a giant M&M store, but you know, it, it, (laughs) uh, there is, there, there is that romanticized version of it, the Scorsese New York and, and the, the suffering and the art that came from that suffering because all of these bands fucking crawled on the ground to get where they were, you know? And, uh, and it's like, we're, we're lucky because we didn't have to do that, and we don't have to do that anymore, but we should never forget where they came from and what they did. That's at least the way yeah. I think about it.
0: I mean, I agree with that. I mean, I think, again, I think it's important to know your roots. Don't forget your roots. Um, But I do think it's like – I think it's one of those things where it's, it's cool to know – but it's not, like you mentioned, it's not part of my history. Like, I don't, I don't cherish those places, um, or covet those places like a lot of people do. Like, it's, it's, it's cool to know about. It's cool to read the history. It's cool to read the stories. Yeah. Um, the stories are wild. Um, like the stuff that people share, like I'm telling you, like, I think everybody should go pick up Please Kill Me because it is worth the read. Um, because it is so bonkers what was going on in punk rock during that time. And a lot of it's based in New York and like, the Andy Warhol weirdness and like, you know, people getting stabbed and living and then dying from different things. Like it's a, it's a very strange time. Um, time release, uh, stabbing death. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's odd. It's very odd. Um, but it's a fun, it's a fun, like kind of jaunt down that lane. I mean, I'm excited to do more of these on venues in other places. Mm. Like I'm excited to go into different cities and stuff. And I'm especially excited to talk about (laughs) LA because it's like, I imagine it's just like a bunch of like, dive bars and like empty parking lots with chain link fences and fire.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll eventually get to LA. We'll do Gilman, we'll do um like the Roxy and like all that shit.
0: <laughs> we can talk about all the places that Black Flag played and be like birthday party, pool hall, <laughs> I, like all the play like, you know, weird festival in the middle of a park in the middle of the day throwing beer cans at the crowd and like hitting kids with beer cans, like cool <laughs> Cool stuff. Keith Morris, not, not a, not a, a, a role model during that time. So, um, no, there's like some, It's there's some, there's always, every city has that cool thing though.
1: Yeah. And I mean, we did, we did our own venues too, didn't we?
0: What, that was like an early episode. Yeah. We did our own venues that were like important for us. So, yeah.
1: So we're just coming back. It all comes back. Doing this. Self-sustaining. Circles.
0: Fucking circles. That's what the C in CBGBs means is circles. Yeah. <laughs>
1: You you ever seen that Sunny episode where they talk about the self-sustaining economy? And he's like, we're just keeping the money moving. We're keeping it moving. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. Were you on this? He's like, oh, oh, I blacked out. No, no, I was blacked out that night. He's like, dude, I've been following your lead.
0: Ridiculous. I love that show
1: oh well okay guys that's it that's that'll do it for us right i mean yeah we gave gave you five venues some stories you know uh please kill me has been sitting on my shelf for 10 years i still haven't read it but (laughs) i will dude i'm i'm deep into book five of dune and i don't know what's happening and i have to it's all of my brain power to process it so
0: (laughs) yeah it sounds like a lot
1: oh god i don't even know I I couldn't even tell you what's happening in the book right now. I really couldn't.
0: Yeah, I uh, I, what did I I read? Um, I just finished reading. Uh, I'll be gone in the dark. Ooh, ooh I watched the dark that was really good, really really good. The book is really really good. Yeah. Um, it's weird to read a book from an author that like died in the middle of writing the book. Uh, yeah, but and Pat like, Oswalt
1: finished it, didn't he?
0: He helped get it finished. He didn't. Uh. He wrote like an afterword. So like, so that book was great. And then uh, I read a book called um, My. Not so secret life by Jonathan Ames, which was kind of, meh. um, so <laughs> yeah. New York author, you know. <laughs> so anyway, I, I I'm gonna I think I'm, the next thing I'm gonna read is a Dave Grohl book. So, all right, all right, well, okay. So we should got we any... shout out the patrons. Yeah, shout them out. All right. So, Mike Osborne, Laura Crosby, Kate Neal, Amelia Andrews, Matthew Fisher, Jessica Crane, Mario Cipriano, Christian Pearlie, Nancy Crozier, Emily Lawson, Jessica DeMarco, Casey Crawford, Brian Stewart, Tyler Lagasse, and Joe Regato. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you all. Thank Thank
1: you, you guys.
0: I just, uh, Joe did not answer any of my messages on Patreon. Patreon, So he messaged me, he's like, where are my zines? Uh, and I was like, dude, I messaged you and you didn't give me your address. And so he messaged me his address and I finally sent his stuff. So if you want zines, become a patron. Uh, we are, um, uh, we don't have any major updates for everybody, but we are going to be in the next couple of weeks updating our Patreon tiers. Um, I've got some ideas for some really cool benefits, so we're going to, nobody voted on any of the benefits. Um, the only vote <laughs> that i got was amelia it was amelia telling me to shut up um so so you know that's uh that's where we're at with that but um you know we're gonna do some cool things yeah we're gonna do some cool things with y'all so
1: um yeah i mean by the time you hear this my last summer episode of wasteland will be out it's gonna be out this friday the 8th july 8th so when you hear this on the 9th 10th 11th on the 11th uh, go over and listen <laughs> to it. It's, uh, it's It was a good one, I think, and it's a, got a little got a little help from Matt moment on it, and uh, it's an interesting topic. It was a weird crime I found out about, and you should check it out and follow me at Wasteland Pod on Instagram. I'm
0: excited. I like it.
1: Yeah. Yep. Well, I guess that is going to do it for us this week, so we will be back next week with something for you. So until then. Not like this week. Hail Dwin. Hail Dwin. And good night, Taco Bell Joe. Wherever you are.
0: I have a feeling that Joe was at one of these clubs, which, (laughs) which, which one. I don't feel like he was at the tunnel, but he could be. I feel like he could. (laughs) I think he could transcend social norms.
1: Joe had to have been at Max's. You think so? Oh, buddy. Max's Kansas (laughs) City. 1977. (laughs) I was up to my elbows in those chickpeas, buddy. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh
1: buddy let me tell you it was it was a scene man i bumped into david bowie one time and for about a full day after that, I could levitate, buddy. It was the strangest <laughs> thing. It was the strangest thing, buddy. What do you think? Uh, do you think
0: you ever watched Suicide and had to watch like uh, the guys in Suicide fight off the crowd with chains?
1: Buddy, I never understood it. You know, it's such a depressing thing. It's like he's Jacob Marley up there with those chains, buddy. He's whipping people. Whipping people with chains. That's not why I came out here. I wanted to be entertained. I don't want to be whipped with chains. <laughs>
0: I wanted to listen to music, not be confronted. Oh, it's very confusing, buddy. Oh, well, I, I could see him there then that make, that makes most the more more sense than any of the other ones I think
1: I had a I had an affair with Patty Smith, buddy. <laughs> She's a beautiful lady. Wild horses. I mean, we was wild horses that night, buddy. I'll tell you right now.
0: <laughs> All right, that's enough of that.
1: All right, everybody. bye,
0: bye. you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at I don't want to hear a pod. You can find us on Twitter at IDWHI podcast. You can find us on Facebook at I don't want to hear a podcast. Check out our website at idontwanttohearapodcast.com and if you follow the link it came from the beach, you can hear all our old bands and the bullshits that we did. You can check out our publishing company at wndpress.com and if you would like to submit a work or get published with us, uh, you can email us at info at WNDpress.com If you'd like to reach the show, you can email us at IDWHIPodcast at gmail.com, send us your feedback send us your information, let us know what you think. Please consider supporting the show check out our Patreon, you get all kinds of cool bonuses, including discounts on merchandise, you get bonus episodes like our Play It Loud and our Talk Among Us episodes, and all kinds of goodies, we make a bunch of playlists for y'all to find us, it'll be great